Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Now, today we have two guests, not one, but two. One I've been following, stalking, mostly stalking, online for quite some time. And the other I met at an event a little while ago and just knew that I, I wanted her on and for them to be together. One is Deborah James, Bow Babe. Bow Babe. Bow Babe. Thanks for having <laughs> me on. The superhero that is Bow Babe. <laughs> and the other is uh, Tracy Gledhill. Your Instagram name is Think I Just Got Lost. Yeah, it's a song title by Three Doors Down. I'm not cool enough to know who they are. Neither was I. <laughs> My husband likes them. I was like, I, I like that. Yeah, oh, nice. so we went with that. Nice. And you two, uh, I think as parents, we all dread certain things. Things happening to our children and things happening to us and us. Uh, and the reason why I brought you both on is because you've both heard those words that we all dread, in that, and that is that you've got cancer. So I thought, rather than me just sat here throwing loads of questions at you, I thought having two people who have experienced yep. those words would be beneficial yeah absolutely. and a bit more insightful yeah. no absolutely uh, when did it happen to you tracy uh had a pain i had a pain in my boob december 2015 but millie was my youngest was 18 months old there's only 16 months between her and my next one so i assumed i've been breastfeeding i've been pregnant for a long time it was hormonal two weeks before christmas i was busy four kids two weeks before christmas is just too busy so i moaned about it a lot didn't do anything about it but I did moan about it between Christmas and New Year my elder two went away with her auntie and the pain came back and I was like oh I've got that pain again and as I kind of felt round under my arm I found a tiny little lump and was like oh my god <laughs> rang my best friend and said come and look at my boobs and um, she maintains it's not the weirdest thing I've ever asked her <laughs> it's quite a bit about our friendship yeah. really um, yeah and then 6th of January I sat there while she went why the doctor said to me I'm 99.9% sure you've got breast cancer and I kind of went no, because I'm 34 and I've got children and this is something that, you know, you scan women that are over 50, so why am so I sat here today? You don't today? Have to worry about yeah. until you're 50, yeah. So, yeah, it was a bit of a shock. 
When did you tell your children? Like, how quickly? Because for me, mine happened a similar time, well, December 2016, and I had been pooing blood for a while. But I, like you, was kind of young, kind of working out, busy mum of two, and you just think, mm. hang on a moment, no, I'm, I've just got IBS. So I kept on going to the doctors, and they kept on saying to me, no, nothing to worry about, and all my blood tests came back normal. Yeah. And then I went for a colonoscopy where they basically put a camera up your bum and saw my tumour. And then it's those words, isn't it? You have cancer. Yeah. And that is when everything changes. What did was you, your initial reaction? Yeah. I screamed, cried, did the whole, I don't want to die. That was my first thing was, I don't want to die. And then I went through a process probably like yourself where you don't really know what's going on. You're kind of in limbo for a while where they have to establish. And actually with me, they actually thought it might be a benign tumour. Right. Ended up being stage four bowel cancer. So you can imagine the emotions going from like thinking, oh no, it's just something I'm going to chop it out, move on. Life will all be the same. Give it a couple of weeks to them plummeting, realising that my chances of surviving for more than five years were incredibly slim. And I think you were in a similar and position. And I spent the you? same amount of time working out what five years from the ages of my children That's were what now. That's I was doing, yeah, yeah. yeah oh absolutely. my God, you know, if they're saying five years, I was told that the survival rate for the variants I had, um, and I wasn't told till after my treatment, was 12%. And at the time, Millie wasn't even two. And I was like, yeah. oh, five years, that, that makes her less than seven. And it makes Jake still not 15 and there'll still be children and they need me because they're still children. It's not as if they were going to be 25, 30 and it'll all be all right. Did you want to know those? Yeah. Those, yeah. yeah. Everyone says don't look at statistics, but the problem is is that a lot of people, I don't know what happened to you, but those people said to me, you'll be fine, you'll be one of the lucky ones. I've realised that regardless of what you do, you have very little control over your cancer, mm-hmm. apart from how you respond to it. Right. I'm sure you get the barrage of, have you tried turmeric? Yes, <laughs> and kale and, and smoothies. Kale. And, and yeah. you, know, you know what? Being active and healthy is part of it, but I know loads of positive, active, healthy people who still have progress with their cancer. Mm. And prime example would be the fact that I I went on a bit of, I got into remission, went on to a bit of a let's rebuild myself, went over the top in terms of doing loads and loads of exercise, and six weeks later was told that my cancer came back. And even my oncologist turned around and said, you know what, don't get into that game of trying to control your cancer. And I think as soon as you accept that and you then look up the stats as well to give other people the the reality of what you're facing, I think. Not to scare them, but Mm. to say, this is what I'm up against please don't try to tell me that I can control that, but we are going to have fun in the meantime. I think it's the, the fact that people kind of go, oh, well, you've had a mastectomy, you've had chemo, you're fine now, it's done now. And you're like, actually, it's not that simple. Well, and the, it's a long, it doesn't, it's not necessarily short. You know yeah, what I mean? You people can't think go back someone's to got cancer. You yeah. You know, you can't get back to that pre-cancer you or your pre-cancer children and your pre-cancer life because it doesn't exist anymore. And it's quite damaging, I think, to kind of expect people to go back to that and carry on because, oh, well, that's fine because you're over that now because you never will be. Did you, with you, how did you tell your children? The doctor said to me that she was 99% sure but there was going to be a week before my results. And I went home and my husband, bless him, was like, well, there's 0.1%. I'm like, "Mm, I don't think you kind of really need to focus on that 0.1%. During the meantime, I'd got some, like, the um, breast cancer care do um, Mummy's Got a Lump and they do a really good one called Medikids Beat Cancer and it's a comic book. And it has um, all the treatments of superheroes and they kind of how they go through the body, killing all these diseases and stuff. And I'd taken them into the kids' school and showed the teachers first and we decided between us that we were going to tell the kids on a school night so that if they had questions the following day, they could ask the teachers and didn't necessarily tell us. 
And they were like, well, we're going to do today. Oh, we can't do today, it's Jake's birthday. We're going to do it tomorrow. And Jake came home from school and it was 10th time and he was like, Mum, my friend Connor doesn't live with his mum. And I was like, oh, it's fine. And we went through the whole two mums, two dads. And Jake was just sat there going, right, whatever. <laughs> and then he went, no, Connor's mummy died. And I kind of went, oh. Uh... What did Connor's mummy die of, Jake? And Jake went, Connor's mummy had cancer. And then you kind of go, how do I now tell how this little 10-year-old boy? Say, Actually, yeah. mate, so do I. And we just kind of said, we put it that there was bad cells that had caused this problem and that we were going to have treatment at the time. We kind of hoped it was going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are going to do. Mummy was going to lose her hair. Mummy would lose her boobs. And I was 44 double H's, you know, they were very big. They were part of our life, you know. So <laughs> Bella was like, <laughs> yeah, Grace didn't want to see me lose my hair. She was scared of how it would look. The little two, I mean, Millie was 18 months, Bella was three. They were just like, yeah, can we go soft plate now? And that was kind yeah, of they don't understand at that age, No, Jake you? went very quiet and he asked if I was going to die. Yeah, my son did. And I kind of went, well, I'm, I'm hoping not to. I was really careful that I didn't want to say to them, oh, it'll be fine, it'll all be good. I agree. I never said, I've never said to my children, I will be fine. But I've never scared them either. Yeah, we got a lot of criticism because people yeah. were like, oh, well, they don't need to know that, the children. And I was like, yeah, but this is their they life. Do. And they're yeah. going to see me with tubes and with no hair and being sick and being poorly and... And it's not fair on them to pretend to them that everything's all right. Yeah. yeah. No, I totally agree with you because people always say um, I'm pretty really public about my diagnosis and my story. And people always say, how do you deal with your children? Do your children... And I say, my children let me... Well, I let my children read and watch everything that I write. So they'll be listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Because the reality for me is that if I were to die... I don't want it to come like a bolt of lightning out of the blue because I know, and you probably know, what it's like to feel like the world has just been whipped yep. from underneath mm. your feet. And that in itself is more traumatic, I think, than being able to prepare for what might happen. And we don't like talk about mummy is going to die. We don't talk about it like that because nobody's told me I have to have that conversation. Yeah. And I pray... I absolutely pray that, well, you, myself and anyone else listening in that position would never have to do that. But I know that it might be a very real reality. And We kind of faced it with the kids that, you know, when they're at school, we tell them to do the absolute best. And after that, whatever happens is up to a force that isn't us, you know. And and that's kind of what we said when they said the treatment hadn't worked. We've done all we can. It wasn't our fault. It's nobody's fault because they did the whole... Was it because I was naughty? Was it because I did this? You know, It was nothing anybody done. It just happened and this is what it is. And they're not silly, you know. My older two, they read things as kids do, you know, when they're on the table and I can't hide letters and and things like that. And it's their life too and it affects their life. And I think you can't... People kind of say, oh, your cancer journey, but it's really not. And it is absolutely everybody involved. Yeah, it affects the whole family, I think. And also the way that you respond. We've done stuff as a family Mm. because of my cancer. I think it's brought us together. I think my relationship with my children has absolutely transformed. Well, uh, having read yeah. your book, because you've got a few cancer that's coming a out. Few in cancer. Cancer. Nice and appropriate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my children have tried to say, can I just use the word? Because it's a title, <laughs> Mummy. It's fine. It's fine. No, because John won't stock it. <laughs> Put it on there. Um, but in that, you say, you, you, and, and, and to us, you've talked about being a workaholic before. Yeah. Absolutely. I was totally and utterly, and I don't regret it. I worked in education. I'm absolutely passionate about education. So I was a deputy head teacher. I worked in education for um, 15 years. But I was married to my job. Mm. You know, you know, I'm quite an ambitious person. I'm pretty driven when it comes to whatever I do in life. Mm. I want to do it well. And then you know what it's like, you just get caught up. 
and everything else seems to get pushed aside. And I, by my own admission, I was the person that went straight back to work after, you know, I didn't really do maternity leave, just went straight back into work. This is the longest that I've been off a regular job, if that makes sense, in terms of a nine to, well, it wasn't ever nine to five, seven to seven job. And it was quite weird because for the children, me having cancer suddenly, well, I meant that I've gone for the first time to sports day. I've gone to class assemblies and suddenly I'm doing mummy things. I still can't do washing up or tea time. Uh, I mean, it's hard that. Yeah, I just, uh, people have their strengths. (laughs) And I think you just have to, you just have to accept that mine, I'm just not very good at that (laughs) but I think for my kids um like me having cancer I'm not I'm trust me I'm not somebody that thinks cancer is amazing because it's not it's crap but at the same time it has absolutely changed my life do you think it's made you a more present parent absolutely because I I know that this is all I've got Mm. so all I've got is today All I've got is spending a day cuddling my children because tomorrow I might not be able to do that. I think it makes you more aware, doesn't it? I said to someone the other day that cancer's made me a better person and and they were like, well, no, it's awful. And I was like, yeah, don't get me wrong, it is awful, but I'm less tolerant of drama and people that don't have time for me and the children and people that don't have our best interests, you know, and like you say, you kind of go, well, I'm going to do this now because I might not get the chance to do that again. And I kind of think, I go see my oncologist, who's very good looking, which always helps. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're going to see him all the time, they might as well be nice to look at. And he says, you know, one month we're going to sit here and I'm going to tell you how long you've got left. But it's not this month. And I can think that's great because that's 30 days I can go out and do whatever I want to with the children. Yeah. So that if I am sat there next month and he says, right, OK, yeah, it's this month, I kind of don't go, oh, but I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to go out and do it, so that I don't have regrets and so that the kids can't look back and go, do you know what? Mummy just gave up. I totally agree. Like when I was first diagnosed, um, you know, (laughs) this is quite morbid, but if you were to die today, I used to think to myself that I would, when I was first diagnosed, I was thinking, no, exactly what Tracy was saying. I haven't done this and I haven't done this and oh, I would really regret it. I can honestly say if I were to die today, I have no regrets with the way that I have done things with my kids, but that's mm-hmm. only since I've been diagnosed with cancer. Really? So I've, I think main, mainly through writing, actually, through um, speaking and sharing my story, it means that I've told the people that I love, my children, whatever, that I love them. And if I were to die tomorrow, I feel really proud of what I'm doing even if sometimes I get my boobs out and my bum out. It's always for a good cause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever it might be. I think be. with the kids as well, you know, it's showing them that actually yeah. it's kind of like strength of adversity, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, and these bad things happen, but you carry on mm. and you carry on and you make the best of it. Yeah. And Millie walks around the house now and Moo is four now. And she walked around kind of grabbing her chest and she said, Moo, what are you doing? She'd be like, I'm just checking my boobs. Oh, that's brilliant. And she's got no boobs, but she's going to grow up knowing how important that is and yeah. her children are going to grow up knowing how important that is. I mean, Jake's first year of secondary school, so he's mortally embarrassed by me, um, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> the big copper feel inflatable boobly is in my car. And I said to him the other day, Jake, do you want me to pick you up from school? And he kind of went, oh. Is the boob in the car? I was like, yeah, and he's like, no, I walk. <laughs> well, that's something that's really interesting about both of you. You both have had this diagnosis and then you campaign so much. Like, so much of what you do is about raising awareness so that other people aren't in the same position, really. It's because I don't want anyone else to have to have the same conversation with their children that I had to have yeah. with mine. I can't change it for me, but if you can change it for one other person, one other mum, one other family, then yeah. it's 
selfish really not to go out and do that absolutely i think um with me with bowel cancer and the same with breast cancer when caught early Mm. the story is so different somebody turned around and said to me but you wouldn't have done anything that you're doing like book writing or whatever and i said yeah but i would give it all up not to have cancer and to live and i think yeah and i would hope that i would fight get to do that stuff anyway but I think for me, I mean, it's the most horrible thing to live knowing that you might not have a future. How do you live when you're kind of dying? Mm. And I live in fear all the time. And you just said something really interesting, Tracy, about you get that 30-day window. Yeah. And you do. And you, you have an expiry date. Yeah, you do. You um, know, and, and you kind yeah. of, I sit, and it, it's silly things. Songs come on the radio and you'll be like, oh, that'd be a really nice song. And I can imagine Jake having that at his wedding. But what if I'm not there when Jake gets yeah. married? And what if I'm not there? You know, my kids are, are tiny. You know, Jake, at the eldest, is still 12. And if you're looking at a five-year time span, I'm not going to see 21st, 18th mm. weddings. You know, I'm not going to see grandchildren, things like that. And it's really difficult not to kind of go, oh, my God, this is all so overwhelming and so huge. And I'm this tiny little part of that. How do you stop it from getting too overwhelming? I think you have to just park it, actually. I think it would be naive to think it can't come in because it's always going to creep in and for me it normally creeps in at three o'clock in the morning yeah or it creeps in at those events where which should be absolutely beautiful I don't know assembly or something and I'm like (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean however I think you have to accept that that is going to happen Mm -hmm. but you have to then draw a line on it and I don't know I've just seen Tracy's boobs I know this this, this has a point but you then then have to kind of draw a line under it and then say right how am I going to make the most of this crap situation and just like you know when I first met Tracy she showed me her her knitted knitted boobs boobs. and that to me is making the most of a situation where you have to kind of you almost have to laugh at the Mm. the rubbish I spend my whole time running around my house going about where are my boobs who's got my boobs (laughs) it's normally a little one because they're filled with cushion stuff in last night she was in my bed and my husband came up to move her into her bed and he was like what's she laid on I was like oh she's got a spare boob and she just kind of put it under her head or I bounce it. if it's at the other end of the room with his computer and I've gone Carl nothing Carl and I'll be like bouncing it off his head he's like will you stop bouncing your boobs off my head was I'll dress up as a poo to raise awareness <laughs> the worst thing is, is that I did this little like it was for bowel cancer awareness month yeah. and we just launched we're doing this campaign um because I write a column and we do it in the sun and we do this campaign where we're trying to lower the screening age, mm-hmm. basically, because actually, if we can get more people screening at 50, and then it kind of, you know how if things filter down? Yeah. Fundamentally, we can save lives and we want to raise awareness. So how do you do that? You have to do it in a way that's funny. Well, I think you do anyway. And Pooh's funny. And Pooh is, Pooh is hilarious, I think. Yeah. Toddlers agree. My husband's made a whole career out of poop books. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Pooh is funny. Pooh is funny. So I, I basically dressed up as a poo emoji, and then I went, I went on the train to Manchester in it. I then like ran around. I I live in London. I ran around um, our London village dressed as a poo emoji doing a dance. And my children were the only ones available, so they filmed it on my phone. (laughs) And then my daughter came down the other day, and she was dressed really inappropriately. And you know, as sometimes they just want to go out in fancy dress. And I was like, why are you wearing that? And her response was, Mummy, I filmed you in a poo costume (laughs) dancing in our street. (laughs) Okay, out the front door. (laughs) What what can you say to that? (laughs) How do you respond to that? Yeah, I was a giant poo, okay. (laughs) Yeah, and you're going to have the same, yeah, I have knitted boobs. (laughs) Yeah, I like, I kind of, 
the big Copperfield boob goes everywhere with me and the kids love it and they're like, Mummy, can I wear the boob? Said, yeah, if you want to. And then you're carrying it kind of by the nipple and you're like, oh, I'm really sorry, boob, I shouldn't carry you like that. <laughs> and it becomes normal. Yeah. And that's what a lot of it's about. It's not this big. And I think until people stop being embarrassed... Yeah. You know, Absolutely. both bowel and breast cancer, sooner treatments are, the less invasive and the more successful they are. Well, and the, but it's and embarrassing. Unfortunately, the symptoms that come with both are embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I've only ever, uh, before working with Copperfield, I only ever knew about a lump. And then you hear about the dimpling, the rashes, yeah. the discharge. And I never had a lump. Yeah. You know, and I kind of look back now and think, if I'd known, maybe I would have noticed it was swollen, maybe I would have noticed. So I, I found some new lumps on my chest wall the other day and I'm going for more tests to see if it's a recurrence. And I was like, oh, so that's what a lump feels like. <laughs> because two and a half years down my journey and I, I didn't know. Yeah. When I go out and talk to people and people are like, yeah, but it's a lump. And they're like, no, it's not just a lump. And I think when people don't know about these symptoms and people don't want to know, yeah, people, people don't, don't want to face it. No. A few Instagrammers, funny enough, talk about this and not necessarily people that we follow, but they're like, no, I, I can't follow those kind of accounts. And I'm like, what kind of accounts is that? They're like, you know, these cancer ones. And I'm like, but that is real life yeah. sometimes. And actually, funny, I think if you follow a lot of people that I know on Instagram, that we all know on Instagram, actually, it's more uplifting than, than Well, you I think. had the same thing doing the podcast with Ella Michelle on baby loss. Yeah. Part of me was worried, would some people go, oh, I couldn't listen to that? Yeah. But then I, I, I'm a big believer. I'm just going to close the door. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, on what? On what? Yeah. Because if it happens to you or someone you know, you yeah. want to be able to talk about Absolutely. it. And we should be talking about it. Just yeah. shutting the door is not going to stop it from it's happening. It's not going to help it. And I really hate that attitude because I think people think that they're invincible a mm. little. Or it's not going to happen to them. Yeah. And honestly, before I was diagnosed, I was probably in that camp a little bit that cancer happened to other people. Why would it happen to me? And then somebody said, but why not? Yeah. And you just think especially with bowel cancer, you think, well, um, I don't meet the criteria. I didn't meet the criteria. But then it's not that rare either. And there's loads of other, other types of cancers where most people don't meet the criteria. Mm. But what we have to understand, and we are understanding um, with cancer research and stuff, that actually the majority of cancers are not caused by lifestyle. Yeah. So it says about 40% are caused by lifestyle factors, but right. that 40% is actually, the majority of that is made up by smoking-related cancers. Right. And this is where the statistics are a little bit mm-hmm. skewed in terms of kind of preventable cancers. So I really hate it when people kind of say, oh, is that because you ate a lot of meat? And you're like, no, no, I was vegetarian for 25 years. Yeah. And I think people... Was it because you didn't breastfeed? Yes. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it can make you feel a little bit... It's plain. It's fine. Yeah. Like, oh, God, I did, did I cause this? Yeah. And I think learning that actually you've done nothing to cause your cancer is probably mentally one of the best things that you can do. And then also things like raising awareness for me actually gives me a vehicle to get up for each day. Really? Yeah. It's the kind of mentally, because I was somebody, I was a workaholic, if I suddenly get up and the only thing I've got to get up for is cancer, I mean, I've got two kids, but it's just, you know... But school days and stuff, that's a lot of time while they're at school. It's a lot of time and it's very different as well. You've got to have, for me personally, I need to have something that I feel like I'm not existing for that sounds really like deep doesn't it but something I can make a difference I'm a natural born teacher and it sounds like you are as well yeah I found it really especially before my diagnosis with the kids um I don't have a great relationship with my mum and I remember being horrified when I said that being a mum wasn't enough for me and she was like your children they should be a world and I was like and they are and I love them dearly but also I'm Tracy and I need to have something that Tracy does that isn't related to the four little people you know and it's great that I've got this tiny ninja army but also I have to do something else and raising awareness and making a difference has kind of given me that something else to kind of keep pushing forward to 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. And I just think exactly like Tracy said, going through this, they're kind of, you can smile and you can put lipstick on and people Mm. go, oh, you don't look like you have cancer. But the reality is that one in two of us will get cancer in our lifetime. And so it's not really something we can avoid. And it's also something that more people will live for cancer 10 years after diagnosis than will die from it. So it's not at all stages, but it's becoming a much more livable disease. And I guess those statistics as well, they take a while to catch up. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I still have hope. Like, you know, my statistics are rubbish, so are Tracy's, no offence, but we're sitting here. But research goes a long way, and I'm like, you know, five years, given something in a five-year, ten-year timescale, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. and, you know... Absolutely. It does sound silly when you say it out loud, but there's always that hope that one day I'm going to go into that appointment, and Dr Sex God's going to go to me, wow, we've found this, you know? And it's going to make a difference. And I think that's what, when you're living on a knife edge, you live with hope that actually the next thing will be around the corner. And that's how you get through each day. Because I think you said, how do you get through each day earlier? And I think it's parking those dark fears, but it's also having hope, even in the most dire situations, where I've just found out last week that I've got a recurrence in a place that's inoperable. So I've got it in a place which is wrapped around an artery. So you can't really do much. And and yet, actually, I'm still hopefully about to have some cyber knife treatment to zap it, to Mm -hmm. keep it at bay. And the whole thing is just kicking the can as far down the road until maybe something comes along. I heard you say that quite a bit, kicking the can as far down the road. And it paints such a clear image. Yeah. All you want to do is the way that research is moving in terms of where we are, we've come a long way even in the last three years to the point that I've had procedures done to me that didn't exist three years ago or not certainly not mainstream. Where are we going to be in three years' time? And so if I can make it to another three years, there might be something that will just... Make that it, difference. Make that difference. Yeah. And it is. Is So my oncologist has a saying, and it's one step at a time. And I suppose that's probably how I now live my life, is one step at a time. Yeah. There's rubbish in terms of can't plan for the future. Do you get scared <laughs> about planning holidays and stuff? You know, I said to well, it was really weird. Before I was diagnosed, I woke up one morning and I said to Carl, let's take the kids to Disney. And he looked at me like he does when I when I have these ideas. I just went, yes, love. <laughs> and then he went, what, Paris? And I was like, no, Orlando. And he's like, well, we've got four kids. Do you understand? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, next year. And he's just like, yeah, love. And I was like, no, all no, no. over two. That's, next that's, year. That's a lot of tickets. Yeah, next year. And it had to be between these two dates. And I couldn't tell him why it had to be between these two dates, but it had to be between these two dates. And he was like, yeah, right, love, whatever. And I 
ignored him and carried on planning it. And then I was diagnosed and my treatment finished the day before we flew to Disney. And it was great because 2016 will always be the year the kids met Mickey Mouse. They don't care that it was also the year mummy had cancer. It's the year they met Mickey Mouse. And that was kind of all the way through the planning. And Carl turns 50 next year and we were like, oh, we'll plan to go back, blah, blah, blah. And then he wants to go and see an American football game with his son in America. And I was like, well, that's fine. We'll just push back Disney a bit. And he was like... Should we really do that? And you're like, oh, cheers. Thanks for that. I'll just, I'll, I'll just kind of hold off dying for a little while, shall I? But I think you have to have that kind of jokey mentality. My f- best friend's an end-of-life care nurse because, you know, it's always helpful to have one of them on hand. Um, when she comes to my pathology report with me in her uniform and the oncologist kind of looked at her and looked at me and was like, we haven't told you anything yet. But we have, like, almost people are a bit like, oh, you're a bit morbid about it. And... Mm. It is what it is, yeah. She bought me a Mrs. Potato Head when I was having chemo because that's how I looked. (laughs) And she bought a dress and then she was poorly and she couldn't go out. I was sat in A&E with her while she was admitted and we'd been talking to the nurse about my story and stuff. And I was like, oh, Emma, you're not going to get to wear that dress. She just went, it's fine, I'm going to your funeral. And I was like, oh, good idea. (laughs) And this nurse just kind of went and didn't know what to say. But I kind of think if you're not, you've got to confront it. I, I know a few people who have had a lot of cancer or different illnesses in their family and they all have dark humour. Yeah, oh, yeah, you, you have, have to. to. But even my kids are now having dark humour. <laughs> to the point that Eloise, my daughter, we don't not talk about death, but it's something that does crop up occasionally. Mm-hmm. And she now says stuff like, oh, well, don't worry, mummy, when you die, hopefully I'll be the same size shoes as you and I'll just have all your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally the other day, I was just, I think my son was reading something in my book and he got really upset and he went, she went, oh, mummy, your clothes, can I have your clothes too? <laughs> <laughs> when I was diagnosed, Grace went for, Grace has some special needs and she went through the stage of telling people, it's great, you'd go to the shop and she'd go, mummy's got cancer. And you could see people going, oh my God, what do I do with that? I remember saying to Carl, maybe we should stop doing that. Maybe we should kind of try and explain to her why that's not appropriate. And then I thought, no, do you know what? People got to deal with it. If they can't deal with a little girl who needs to tell people that mummy's got cancer to make sense with it in her head, then that's their problem. It's not this little girl's problem. While you're going through treatment and stuff, have more questions arised? Bella asked if she could polish my head. <laughs> and I, was on chemo. I was sat in front of the window. She came in and she was so she would have been about four and a half. And she went, "Oh, mummy, you're so shiny." And I kind of went, "Thanks." And she was like, "Shall I polish you?" Um, no, but thank you. I think for me, more questions have arisen in terms of. I think the further you go, and the more you, I still have a reoccurrence, mm. and I got into remission. Although, retrospectively, it probably was just hiding on some scans. And I think the only questions that I have is how much longer do I have? But I will never ask my oncologist this. And we have a deal, actually. The deal is that until I have a month left and we've run out of options. I said to him, I only want to know I have options. I've stopped now Googling, finally, the percentage chance of those options working because I just think... I'm never going to find what I want to find. Mm. And even he said to me, Deborah, you're not going to find yourself in a textbook. Each case is very unique. And I think that's one of the key things, isn't it? But I think I ask myself questions such as, am I going to see my kids to secondary school? And the more time I know that cancer is still in my body, the more I keep on thinking, oh, please, I really want to. But yeah, I, I don't know. Do you have any other... Do you think? Of yeah, I find... I find myself parenting differently yeah. than before because I'm quite aware that actually one day I won't be around to do that. And is it really worth telling them off for that when does it really matter in the scheme of things? You know, so I probably relaxed more as a parent. So I kind of question what's important. And the little ones, especially Bella said to me the other day, will your boobs grow back? And I was like, no. And she just kind of went, oh, 
okay then. And off she went and kind of they come up with, sometimes Jake come up to me and he'll be like, mummy, what's hormone treatment? And you'll know that he's kind of been Googling stuff at school. Right. And he'll come up, what does benign mean? What does malignant mean? And you're like, okay, let's talk about what you're looking at and make sure that actually you're looking at stuff that's relevant and not. And, and when they are that age, it's really difficult. Is it also uh, like nice for you to think that having written your blogs, having Instagram, having written the book, you have all of this literature from you that the kids can read? Yeah. You know, whether it's now or whether it's in years to come, yeah. they'll always have those words straight from you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, they're never going to yeah. see that from a anecdotal position and mummy felt like this because they can read that and go well actually no because mummy wrote this and this is how she felt at that point yeah we have like a bit of a my kids um my husband gets a bit annoyed where i have to take a picture of everything (laughs) and i'm hoping one day they will understand why i take pictures of everything and a lot of my instagram is about that actually it's just capturing memories for me that if I'm not here, they can look at my Instagram and go, oh, yeah, mum was a bit kooky. It's, like, strange, but <laughs> I get it. And I, I got really upset. I recorded um, my audio book the week before I went out on holiday. And you know what it's like? You've recorded mm-hmm. audio books, haven't you? Mm-hmm. You're sat in a room for four days or three days. <laughs> Very intense. <laughs> Very intense. <laughs> can you repeat? Accept again. Accept. <laughs> anyway, finally got through it. And I totally held it together. And then I got to the acknowledgements at the end, and I bored my eyes out it's because I realized that they can always listen to me reading they'll always have your voice they'll which is always amazing. have my voice and then I read the acknowledgements to my son and the book's dedicated to my kids they only saw it yesterday for the Aww. first time and uh, we just got back from holiday and my son was reading the bit at the back where I just said what I thought to them and he went no no mummy I'm gonna cry and I just was like oh and I cried when I read that on the audio but to the point that I think we've pretty much taken the take with me in tears because (laughs) there's I just couldn't do it yeah but I do think that's you do stuff like that, don't you? You record things I did, to, um, to make memories. An art journal book, or halfway through, that has an art piece because um, I kind of found that really helpful for myself. And then a bit of writing about it, and it's things I want my children to know when I'm not here to tell them, oh. you know. And it was things about what I've learned. I've gone through a lot of different stuff, and I say I'm a better person now. And it's really important to me to kind of be true to who you are, and it doesn't matter if people like that or not as long as it's true to you. And I kind of, especially having three girls, I kind of think, God, I'm not going to be there when they're 25, 26, 27 to say to them, if that's how you're happy, then go for it. You know, so I kind of want them to know that stuff, Mm. but to tell them now at four, five and ten, they're not going to get it. And I think it's quite important, actually, There's an element about not knowing what your future looks like Mm. that we should all do in a way. So there's stuff that memory making, whatever it might be, we should almost all live as though we don't know what's around the corner tomorrow. And I get that there has to be a balance. as But we don't. And we don't. don't. I think, do you know what? Actually, we're in quite a, if you want to call it privileged position, because we know. Yeah. You know, we know that we're going to have that deadline and we know that there's going to be that change or we might not we might be lucky you know and so many people don't have that and then something happens suddenly and you're like god i wish they'd had the chance to do this i had a chance to do that so in a way we're lucky that we can put these things in place for our children so that the memories are there Mm. but i do think that in a way i was somebody 
and I've talked about this um, quite often, I lived in the future. So maybe just like your husband's response, I was always kind of, I haven't got to Disneyland yet because it's always going to happen in the future. <laughs> yeah. Do you, and actually, funny enough, my kids are now getting older, too, almost too old to take them. And I'm like, oh, but you do, you, you kind of like, oh, I'll um, do that tomorrow or I'll go on that holiday or I'll write to that person or pick up the phone and speak to that long lost friend. And you just don't. You genuinely just don't. And then when you feel like you are having to live at 100 miles an hour because you don't know whether you've got tomorrow, it forces you to do stuff because you just you have no boundaries. You just kind of <laughs> you just send an email. You just you just yeah. wake up and do it because you don't know whether you have that privilege of waking up tomorrow. So I know it sounds quite morbid, but I think there's something we can all take from that, that way of well, life. And that's why I think people get from you online. Like, you don't just have a, a load of cancer patients following you, do you? <laughs> no, hopefully not. <laughs> I would like to think that everyone has cancer. <laughs> Other people. They definitely don't. So, you know, and that's obviously what people, people take. It is your humour, it's your outlook on life. It teaches other people to kind of take a little bit of that away. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a reality check sometimes, cancer, isn't it? Because I think people get so caught up with, like, what food am I feeding my kids? And are they doing their homework? And are they doing hard enough at school? Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that, actually, if you care about what your kids are doing, they're probably going to be okay. <laughs> and I see, like, <laughs> Pinterest mums, and you're like, I, I made four types of play-doh today and then we did this artwork and I'm like it's the end of the day all four of them are still alive they've all been fed it's a good day it's a good day this, is, this, this has been a good day yeah. and sometimes that's as good as it gets and it's so but funny. that's alright no, yeah. I totally agree like I you know my background in education there are unfortunately kids out there whose parents actually just not around but not through death or whatever through their own issues yeah. and actually if you were a mum who just text and interest, whatever that might be in your children, actually your kids are going to be fine. Mm. And I just think it puts a bit of perspective on life. Does it really matter if they've eaten three too many sweets? No, because <laughs> all that matters to me is whether I'm alive to see them. Yeah. yeah. And it just it puts everything else into kind of like, it, it orders your life a little yeah. bit. We talk a lot on the podcast about juggling parenthood and work. And for you two, I, I want to know, how do you juggle parenthood and treatment <laughs> because you know obviously things that you're obviously going through a lot and how do you navigate your way through that and having kids I think some stuff you can't hide so when I was on chemo I had a Hickman line so I had like a 12 inch line coming out my chest I lost my hair I was thrown up constantly you kind of do have to go you know this is the reality of it and I found that hard because Millie was only 18 months old and we used to take her everywhere in a sling and they wrap across your chest, and I couldn't do that anymore, and we used to co-sleep, and I remember her waking up, um, and it was only like two weeks after my first chemo, and she woke up coughing, and I was like, what's the matter, Moo? And she was pulling my hair out of her mouth, and I was like, God, this changes so much stuff. You know, we had to kind of, not forcibly, but kind of really accelerate her going into her own bed, because we knew my surgery was coming up, and we knew that she couldn't be in bed, kicking, punching, as toddlers mm. do in their sleep, whilst I'd just had a double mastectomy. So I kind of do have to say to them, this is what's happening. And it's that balance between going, oh, I feel too poorly to actually do anything. Yeah. I think as a mum going through treatment, you do push yourself that little bit harder because you still want to be present. You still want to go to these things and yeah. you still want to do these things. But in reality, you probably would be better resting. Do you find yourself relying on other people then to maybe take the kids out of that equation every now and then so that I you do. can just have yeah. that time? Yeah. I'm really lucky that my husband does an awful lot and he's very keen on me doing what I need to do, what I feel that I need yeah. to do to satisfy, like you say, what you want to do in life. So I'm really lucky that he'll be like, it's fine, I've got the kids yeah. off, you go and do that. Yeah. Um, but I found when I had, my, especially when I had my Hickman line in, 
when I had friends that would come round, Millie would be like, pick me up, pick me up. And it was, she wanted to be picked up and she wanted to be cuddled by a woman. But, she, you but I couldn't do that. Do you know, yeah. and it was just... And she's by far my most independent. And I kind of think that's got to come from that. And that was why I never had a reconstruction because the recovery period was like six months. And I'm like... So if I've potentially got five years from diagnosis, which is like two and a half now, is it fair to take six months out of that to go back to where I can't lift and where I can't do stuff when, you know, she's already lost that year of her first couple of years of life? I think it's quite important to to not scare children, but to show them and to kind of take them alongside. And I made a few mistakes in that my kids came to see me in hospital when I still had quite a lot of leads attached to me after a few operations and that my my daughter became fascinated with my wee bag Um, (laughs) and you just now she's a bit scared and if she comes in she's like do you have a wee bag but not because she was grossed out about it coming from me just about she was just grossed at seeing the wee which I think is quite (laughs) weird for children but I had an experience where I've always thought right don't take your kids to chemo Mm. like and I would definitely not recommend it as a routine thing I mean you couldn't actually make this up so I was about to have it's in my book I was about to have chemotherapy Um, and you know what it's like where you have to have a time frame in terms of it takes say I don't know six hours to have chemotherapy and if you don't have it the ward shuts and all these kind of things I was literally about to have it starting and I got a phone call from my daughter's school to say that she had got a ring stuck on her finger Um, and she needed taking to hospital to get it cut off and I was like oh my Only all the times, of all the times, but also only my daughter could do that. And so I was like, right, nobody else was around. So I raced back to her school, collected her to find her absolutely peeing herself, laughing, going, (laughs) "I got it on, I got it on." And it was one of my dress rings that she had basically like squashed onto her finger somehow. And then I was like, right, I have a choice here, and it wasn't swelling up that badly. So I basically had to go back into the Marsden and I was like, right, I'm in a hospital. If, it, if her finger's about to fall off, it's surrounded by doctors. <laughs> she's this in the is right fine. place. Someone will put it back on. Because I knew if I didn't get back, I wouldn't be able to have my chemo. So I took her back and she actually, all her fears about me having chemotherapy went away because she saw it for herself. And she, you know, she was riding up and down on the chairs or whatever it might be with her finger in some ice. As, the, as all the doctors that came round for all the chemo patients went, oh, what have we got here, little lady? She's like, i got a ring stuck on my finger. And then, for, so for her, actually, it demystified everything and it suddenly became a lot less scary. So whenever I then said, I'm off to have chemotherapy, she stopped being so worried about it. So nice, no, do you reckon, for her, knowing where you were going, what was happening? Yeah. And it's kind of like... What I've discovered is that if you don't tell children the whole truth, they make it up for themselves. And often they will make up a worst case scenario than what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, so quite often, if you just say, I've got cancer, they will automatically assume you're going to die. I've often seen the the other side, actually, as a teacher, where children will come in think that their mum is literally about to die and actually you call home and you realise, yeah, she's sick but she's currently undergoing chemotherapy she's got a great prognosis it's just she's going through that rough point at that particular time and actually from both a professional experience and a personal experience I think just don't let your kids make up the gaps. See, as a kid I can remember hearing that conversation and hearing someone very close to me say crying on the sofa saying I don't want to die and I was coming down from upstairs and just going back upstairs and that conversation was never had never ever had with you yeah never had with us so I do completely understand why it's so important 
be to talk, honest. Yeah. Yeah, because to talk. time isn't a lateral concept for children, is it? You know, you can't say to them. And that's why the holiday was so important, because I could say to them, by the time we go on holiday, my treatment will be done. You know, I could say to them, well, I've got to have three months of this, four months of that. They wouldn't understand that. But to be able to say to them, when a child hears and overhears someone saying, I'm going to die, they think, well, that's the next five minutes, yeah. you know, and what's going to happen. And they're constantly waiting for that to happen. Well, and it didn't happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, but that's in my child brain. And the fact that now, even to, still, yeah. you know, it, yeah, it never yeah. developed from that, but you still have yeah. that. The thing that I find that I'm starting to learn, and it's still an area that I'm not entirely comfortable with, is I've grown up with an absolute fear of death. Yeah. And I um, I recorded something the other day about this. And why is it in society we just close... It's another area that we just shut out, even though it is going to happen to all of 100% us. 100% going to happen to all of us. Yeah. <laughs> There's no escape <laughs> in it. Absolutely. <laughs> and honestly, I mean, I'm not entirely comfortable at the moment having conversations about it. But it, it is starting... I am questioning the types of conversations I have around death with my children, not necessarily related to me, but just the whole concept of it. Because actually by shutting it down and not even normalising it, we are petrified of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have probably very irrational fears over what it might be like. And yet when you speak to specialist care nurses who Mm. work in that sector actually their experience of it is very, very different. And it's just, I suppose it's just a kind of something that I'm learning um, as part of this, which I suppose is a slightly sideline thing. Um, but it does, it's just the way we bring up our kids nowadays. Well, yeah, but it must be very difficult going through something and having those different sidelines, you know, yeah, where yeah, one yeah. is you managing your, like, where you're, you're at with it and then managing how your children are coping. Absolutely. It is because you're kind of dealing with all the usual children stuff as well and you kind of don't want to minimise that because it's really important but also you're kind of trying to deal with this huge thing on your shoulder as well at the same time and it's keeping that balance to be your life not being just about cancer but also you can't ignore it because it is a big part of your life yeah it's almost like the work home balance of cancer and and living yeah and it's that balance between because people go oh you're going to do everything you can and I was like well yeah but I have had this conversation that if we get to the stage where there's something that's only going to extend my life by a week, two weeks. I'm not going to do that because there's a big difference between, to me, between living longer and dying slower, mm. uh, you know, and they're very different things. Well, is it that thing if you can live a shorter time but be able? Yeah, better, yeah. yeah rather than live longer yeah, but you not know, be able to do and things. When you, when you kind of put in the context of children, do I want my children to see me very, very poorly for an extended period of time or do I want us to have a really great shorter space of time? And it's weighing up. Your thoughts on that to actually what's best for that you're still a mum and you're still trying to deal with that whole what's best for the children while also levelling up with what's best for me in my life and what I need. I think um, slightly going back to what you were saying in terms of help, how do you balance everything? I would say accept all the help that you can get and don't be kind of a martyr about it. There are no prizes for getting through chemo (laughs) on your own. I will hold my hands up to the fact that I have a lot of help. As pointed out by your sister yesterday. <laughs> I, I love my supportive family. So basically, my uh, I have I have great um, parents and husband and sister and, and brother. And my sister was reading um, in my book about the cancer card. So the cancer card that you're just like I can't do the washing, you know. And my sister was like, Deborah, you can never do the washing." As my mum is hanging up all the washing. So I'm 36 years old. I've come back from holiday and I take three black bags to my parents on a Sunday to do the washing. 
Tradition. It's got to have its advantages. Yeah. There's got to be that point where you can go, well, you know, I have got cancer. Yeah, absolutely. And nobody can argue with that either. You know, there's no, absolutely. just shut up and get on with it. No. You're kind of like, well. And I have, um, I still kept, because I was working full time, I actually have no pair. And I appreciate not everybody, I appreciate hardly anyone is in a privileged situation to be able to do that. But for me, that was my childcare setup, and I'm very lucky, and I know that I'm very lucky that I'm able to continue with that setup. But I actually think it's quite important. So, in terms of being able to find a way to get as much help with childcare and whatever kind of things around the house as you can, and I, I get that you know most people can't afford that. But if friends and family are offering help... And they always And they always yeah. offer. And if friends and family are listening and they've got somebody who they don't know how to help, they always say, can I help you? The best thing to do is do just it. go around just and do, do it. it. Absolutely. Yeah. And don't, just don't even ask. Kind of like rather than saying, can I cook you a meal... Just go and cook a meal. Because if you're the person going through treatment, you then have to think about what it is and you, you're not really sure. So if you're a mum who's got, say, another mum, the best thing actually happened to me where, you know, oh, you know when you have to do all those costumes for, like, everything. Well, yeah. well it's well bit day, isn't it? All the different costumes, you know, you name it. And they always want to be something really obscure. Really obscure. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, oh, we've got maths day and we've got this day. And don't get me wrong, I think they're great, but not when you're kind of, you've been told at midnight the night before. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, Mum, I want to be the pheasant from Daddy Champion of the World. <laughs> and you're looking at a bit of toilet roll as you can. What, 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 and a glue gun. Yeah, yeah. I managed to do that because it was for Maths Day. And she, my, my daughter ended up going as a cute triangle. Because, <laughs> is that, is totally that stealing that one. Triangle. So, so basically, you know, like, as in a cute, like... Oh, and a cute... <laughs> I was thinking a cute triangle. That's what I did. I did a play on words. Because, because all we had at midnight was a fairy costume. And I was like, well, what do we do with this? So I basically got some Lee roll. I got some Lee roll on toilet paper at midnight. Anyway, this is totally going off the subject, but this is what you can do at midnight. Lee roll, toilet paper, glue gun, a cute triangle. But anyway, the, best, the point of the story is the best thing that somebody ever did was was literally say, oh, by the way, it's book day, three days' time. I've picked up an extra costume for your daughter. And you know when you're just like, rather than like having a debate over what is just, oh, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. It's that practical help that you can, yeah, and just take it. Just don't, you know. A friend turned up at my door and she was like, tea tonight, you've not started, have you? And I was like, oh, thank God for that, because oh, I felt God. sick. And yeah. Carl does all the cooking and he does the housework and that, which is great, but also he's trying to deal with four children whilst I'm vomiting on the sofa and he's trying to look after me and it really helped to kind of someone go, it's sorted, don't worry about yeah. that bit. How has cancer affected your relationships? He's great, he's mentioned it probably about twice. <laughs> <laughs> he's done really well. Yeah, he's mentioned it about twice. Um... <laughs> It's difficult because he is old, he's nearly 50. He has that very much, I'm going to fix it, I'm the man, I'm going to, and he can't fix this. Yeah. And he does struggle with, what. Well, how can I fix that? And he looks at the children and is like, oh my God, how am I going to cope with four children when you're not here? And I think that's very present for him all the time, rather than whereas I'm just like, fine. And he's very stressy about stuff and I'm probably a bit too laid back about stuff. So I'm just like, oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It'll all be good. And he's just like, yeah, but it might not be. And what about this? And what about that? And it has, because he wants to fix it. And I'm like, do you know what? It doesn't need fixing. And you can't and fix it. And don't waste your energy on trying mm. to fix it because you can't. Yeah. You know, when I found the, the new lumps the other day and I was talking to him and he's like, oh, but it could be this and then it'll go. And you're like, at points you have to be realistic and you have to be realistic for the children because you having this hope and then being devastated when that hope doesn't happen. Yeah 
is not going to help anybody. I realised quite recently that, I know this is a very obvious realisation, but when you are the patient, you assume that you are the only one going through this. Mm. So you assume it's all about you. And then I was having an argument. I don't always argue with my husband. He's very nice. (laughs) But we were having an argument and he was like, Deborah, do you not understand? I go through this with you. And what he meant by that was, you know, when I'm happy, I'm happy. When I'm panicking because of a reoccurrence, he's panicking because of a reoccurrence. But on the surface, he's just a swan and everything is fine. And he just takes all my worry and he just absorbs it. And I think it was just at that moment that I realised that my, when I celebrate, he celebrates. And when he is left, you know, with a reoccurrence, he is left with a very real fear that he's going to be widowed at a young age. And I think we don't consider that we don't have to think about what it's going to be like without them because that stops for us. They have to deal with that going forward and and the stuff that we're saying, oh, God, it's going to be awful because we won't see the weddings and this, that and everything else. They have to go, God, I am going to and she's not going to be there. But I think my relationship with my... I've talked very openly about this before. We've had an interesting relationship. I wrote very openly a column about this a couple of weeks ago where... We've just celebrated 10 years of marriage. However, to get to that point has been a lot of hard work on lots of people's sides, including kind of a a small one, that small, but a couple of years apart as well. But I think as a result, because of cancer, we're now, his relationship with the children is much stronger. Uh, He's always been great, but I would say their bond, they have a much more of a kind of natural threesome bond, whereas before they didn't have that in the same way. And I just think it's because he's realising that he might have to play mum and dad. And I think that's just developed kind of naturally as a result of it. And I would say our relationship is better because suddenly all the arguing over, well, you haven't told me that I look very nice tonight. I don't know why I do that, (laughs) Miss I think it's because normally when I'm saying that, I'm screaming, you haven't said that, you I look nice. And it's kind of coming out of that volume. Um, and it kind of puts everything into perspective because you just, it's like what I was saying earlier in terms of has my child had three too many sweets? And this is kind of, does it really matter? Yeah. And it does just level you out a little bit. Yeah, I'm still, yeah. You kind of go, oh, he's complained that he hasn't said I look lovely today, but also he saw me when I was bald and looked like Uncle Fester's uglier cousin. <laughs> and, you know, actually, if he's still there after that, then does it really matter if he's noticed my haircut? <laughs> you know that moment where you put your phone on selfie mode accidentally when you've done it when you're in chemo and you've been crying in the night and you've got steroid bloat and you go like, whoa! <laughs> It's not a good look. If you could say one thing to your pre-cancer self, what would you say? Take risks more, Deborah. Just live for today a little bit. And don't worry about your life having to fit into a box. I was like, I have to be the head teacher by this time. I have to do this. My family needs to look like this. And actually, life throws you curveballs that you can never, ever worry about and predict for. And all the stuff in my life that I used to worry about are not the things that actually have caused me issues. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. And so, you know what? Just live a little bit. Yeah, and I'd say, do you know what? Do what makes you and the kids happy, what's right for you, not what other people think you should do or how you think it should be perceived that you do. You know, I've got tattoos. That when my kids were tiny, I had hot pink hair and it was all like, you can't do that, you're a mum. And none of that matters because the kids don't care. 
and I'd rather they look back and go, yeah, mum was awesome, yeah. than kind of go, oh, mum tried to fit in and it made you unhappy. Yeah. You know, it's do what's right for you, do what's right for the kids, and if other people don't like it, then that's their problem, not yours or the kids. Absolutely. Uh, we've come to the end, so we end with you completing three sentences. It's very easy. Ooh. Being a mum means... Everything to me. It uh, means scarily seeing yourself in small people mm. and going, oh, my God. I, sometimes Grace will argue and I'll go to Carl. Well, she argues just for the sake of it and he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she's got that problem. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> Since having children, I have realised that I can't blame my temper on just my children <laughs> <laughs> and realised that I'm better when I've had a glass of wine inside of me. <laughs> nice. Um, that actually I'm doing all right. Jake's 12. They're surviving. They're doing well. They're happy children. And that's what matters. Yeah. And finally, I'm happy when? When I'm just living and carefree, which is difficult to do, actually, for all of us. But I aim to have as many moments as possible when you just can shut down all those worries and all those thoughts and all those little monsters that come into your life and to be present in the moment. Exactly the same. When I'm doing what makes us happy, what matters to us and what's important in our lives. And as long as we're doing that, then everything else doesn't really matter. I can't thank you both enough for coming together and having a chat with me. Thank Thank you you for having us. Thank you. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.